I'm going to sing directly to you. Good morning, Aldersgate. Ooh, that was low. <laughs> well, welcome to the 9.30 service. To those who have attended before, nice to see you. Those who don't normally attend, nice to see you as well. Nice to see Tara and Andrew. Hello, hello. All right, if you want, please stand for our first song. This is Battle Belongs. It's really just a reminder that anything you're going through, you know, give it, give it to God. He'll take care of it. Your 
along those same lines, if we give everything to God, he knows we are mighty to save. He's going to save us. So let's sing Mighty to Save. Good morning. Welcome to Aldersgate United Methodist Church, a place of warm hearts and active hands. We are glad that you're here. Thank you so much for sharing with us again. Hey, one of our number, Brandy Clark, she's been to the top of the world this past week. She ran up Pikes Peak, and she even came back down. So uh, how about that? Uh, so uh, that's something to celebrate. Um, well, hey, take a note of the uh, information that's in your bulletin. There's lots of good stuff that's there. Uh, classes that you can sign up for. Child care will be provided for each one of them. And um, so oh, I hope that you'll consider doing that. Also, the uh, children's ministry begins this Wednesday night at 630 
and they'll begin uh, the Christmas pageant rehearsal, which the kids always love, and it's a time for them to fellowship and learn together as well. We have flowers on the altar today. The blue ones uh, are in celebration of the 60th wedding anniversary of Tom and Sharon Kessler. They were in the first service, so we all cheered for them. And the, the other uh, beautiful arrangement is placed in loving memory of Mary Brody. If you didn't know Mary, Mary uh, was one of the saints of the church. She was a charter member of Aldersgate. Services of her life were held on Friday. And so, uh, all right. Well, hey, it's far too quiet. Let's uh, turn around and move around and greet one another in Christian love. If you don't know someone, ask their name and tell them yours. So come and grab a bit. Following the service, I hope that you'll make your way to someone you didn't get to greet and say howdy to them. And following the service is uh, a fellowship time in the fellowship hall, and you're invited to join with your kiddos uh, down there. We have a special event for you on Wednesday night when you bring your children to, uh, uh, to the children's activities. Uh, we have a special activity for you, and Heidi Bowen is here to tell about that. Heidi, we thank you for your leadership and welcome you to the platform. Hey, good morning. Like Gary said, my name is Heidi, and many of you know me maybe as a singer, but uh, during the week, I'm actually a financial advisor uh, for Edward Jones, and this Wednesday, um, I wanted to chat about an educational opportunity that's happening in the fellowship hall at 6.30. And so how this came about was I was um, at a webinar for my job, and one of my colleagues, his name is Doug, and he was actu he's actually going to be with us on Wednesday via Zoom. He was just dropping all kinds of wonderful educational nuggets about education savings. And I thought, wow, this is amazing, not just only as a financial advisor, but as a mom who has kids that are at the age where this is super important information that I need to know. So then I got to thinking, well, if I find this valuable, then I think my friends might find it valuable. And then I got to thinking, well, who are my friends? And they're the people of Aldersgate United Methodist Church. So I encourage people that have kids of any age um, to come and learn about how they can help with their children's future. So teenagers are actually also invited because Doug's going to be talking about how to apply for scholarships as well. So now I have a question. How many of you have grandchildren who are super smart and are going to change the world someday? There you go. So did you know that 70% of grandparents would consider helping with their grandchild's education if they were just asked? So here I am asking you to come and learn more. So it's this Wednesday in the Fellowship Hall at 6.30. You can drop your kids off with Cynthia for the Christmas pageant, drop your littles off with Linda in the nursery, and come and learn. Thanks. Have a great day. Lots of opportunities to um, improve our lives and build a wonderful future. This time we'll ask the ushers to come forward for the morning offering as we continue our song service. There's torn up pages in this book, words that tell me I'm no good, chapters that define me for so long. 
with the hands of grace and endless love dusted off and picked me up told my heart that hope is never gone god is in this story god is in the details even in the broken parts he holds my heart he never fails when i'm at my weakest i will trust in jesus always in the highs and lows the one that goes before me god is in this story so if the storm you're walking through feels like it's too much for you wonder if he even cares at all well, hold on tight to what you know. He promised he won't let you go. Your song of healing's written in the scars. God is in this story. God is in the details. Even in the broken parts, he holds my heart. He never fails when I'm at my weakness. I will trust in Jesus, always in the highs and lows, the one who goes before me. God is in this story. If it reads like addiction, if it reads like disease, depression if it reads a broken home he's the one who holds your son he won't leave you here alone god is in this story god is in the details even in the broken parts he holds my heart he, he never Trust in Jesus, always in the highs and lows, the one who goes before me, always in the highs and lows, the one who goes before me, God is in this story, you're in this story, God is in my story, right here. I am delighted that Pastor Daniel is back with us after having traveled to Germany. So welcome back to Aldersgate, Pastor Daniel. We're glad you're here. The scripture text this morning for our final sermon in the series of Back to the Basics is, uh, first of all, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our gospel lesson, which uh, is before us today, is from John chapter 17. I invite you to stand as we share it together. This is a part of the prayer of Jesus, our Lord. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. And then verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, 
that they may also be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Friends, let's pray together. Gracious God, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in this place be pleasing to you. For you, O God, call us to be one, and you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, let me just begin by saying it is so good to be back with you. Being gone for almost a month was a lot longer than I bargained for. I was in uh, Germany for the World Council of Churches General Assembly. was there for about three weeks plus an extra five days for a COVID quarantine, so just got to tack that on to my time, um, a little bit of uh, extra experience there. Uh, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, the truth is I missed you guys. <laughs> And um, I have a few things that I want to share with you today uh, about that experience in uh, Germany. Uh, the World Council of Churches, for, for those of you who might not be familiar with that, is the largest ecumenical organization in the world. And the General Assembly, they meet once every eight or nine years, and it is the largest gathering of Christians in the world. There are about 4,000 people who descended on Karlsruhe, Germany, uh, for a time of fellowship, worship, encounter with one another, and also to do some of the important business of the WCC that needs to happen every eight years or so. There was a lot that I experienced. There was a lot that I learned. There was a lot of wonderful and beautiful people that I got to meet. And since I've been back, uh, just since Tuesday night, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, how was the trip? What did you learn? Uh, and so I have spent some time these last few days trying to distill uh, that experience uh, into some large takeaways. And so as we conclude our sermon series today on Back to the Basics, we're talking about the church, the beloved community. And so I would like to offer you Three basic ideas about the church that the World Council of Churches taught me. Now, the WCC and the wider ecumenical movement, that is the movement that tries to display the unity of the church across the globe, this is a movement that is grounded in the gospel text that Gary read for us just a few moments ago, John 17, verses 20 through 24, because it is in this passage where Jesus displays his deep desire, his prayer even, that the church would be united. And so uh, it will be no coincidence that the three basic lessons about the church will arise not only from what happened in Karlsruhe at the assembly, but from Jesus' own prayer in John 17. Now, just a little bit of context about this prayer before we dive into the three lessons, because context about the scripture is always important. This passage comes in a part of the Gospel of John that is often called the farewell discourse. And the farewell discourse is a long section in uh, John from chapter 13 to chapter 17, where Jesus is giving his final instructions in parting words to his disciples before he is arrested and betrayed. 
And it is in this farewell discourse that we find some of the most famous scenes in the Gospels. Okay, it is here that uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It is here in the farewell discourse that Jesus institutes the practice of holy communion. And it is here where Jesus gives his final pep talk to encourage his disciples with the knowledge and the wisdom that they are going to need when Jesus leaves them in the not-too-distant future. It's a beautiful scene. It's an intimate scene. Jesus gathered with his closest friends in a small room, gathered around a table, and he's offering them his final teachings. But the most intimate thing that happens in this entire farewell discourse is the last thing. Because the last thing that Jesus does before he goes to be betrayed and arrested is he prays. And what does Jesus pray for in the presence of his disciples? He prays for the church. He prays for you and for me and for the church that will exist throughout time and throughout space. In verse 20, Jesus says, I ask not only on behalf of these, he's praying to God the Father here, not only on behalf of these, which are the people there in the room, but also on behalf of all of those who will believe in me through their word. Now, sometimes we read this and think, oh, how sweet Jesus is praying for me. And like I said, in a sense, that is true. Jesus is praying for you and for me. But let's not make the mistake of over-sentimentalizing this or over-individualizing this. Because Jesus is not just praying for you. And he's not just praying for me. And he's not just praying for Aldersgate Church. He is praying for that global, ecumenical church that exists beyond borders, beyond institutions. And this leads me to the first basic lesson of the church. The church is diverse. Now, this may seem like an obvious observation. Of course, the church is diverse, made up of many people. But when you go to the World Council of Churches General Assembly, it is the first thing you notice. The WCC is comprised of 352 member churches. The United Methodist Church is just one of those. From over 120 different countries, representing over 580 million individual Christians. There are Catholics, uh, Orthodox, Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, people from free and non-denominational churches, people from united churches, reformed, and everything in between are part of this community. And like I said, in Karlsruhe, there were over 4,000 delegates and participants gathered for the assembly, and every one of those persons, every one of those member churches represented just one facet of the diverse and beautiful global Christian community. Now, this global diversity of the church was highlighted in many different ways throughout the assembly, but one of the most special and impactful ways that I saw this diversity was through the morning and evening prayers, where different church traditions took turns leading the assembly in worship. And for me, these prayers were a wonderful opportunity to experience the diversity of the church and the different ways that different folks worship the same God. We experienced everything from the contemplative prayer of the Catholics to the more spirited and lively dancing worship of the Pentecostals and everything else in between. No two groups worshipped the same. No prayer was the same. But the heart was the same. I remember one particular evening I was going to prayer, and I was excited because the Oriental Orthodox Church was 
leading us that night. In the Oriental uh, Orthodox Church, there are a small group of uh, Orthodox churches, mostly from the Middle East. And I was excited to experience what their tradition was. Uh, but when I got to the prayer, I was surprised to find that every single part of it was either in Armenian or Arabic. Not a single word in English. <laughs> Which was okay, okay because uh, most of the assembly was in English, and so it was good for me to experience a moment of uh, not having my language privileged. Uh, it was confusing, and it was different, and it was beautiful. Now, I may not have understood a single word of what was sung or what was prayed, but my eyes were opened, my perspective broadened, to a facet of the global church that I had never seen before. And I got to see the diversity of the church for which Jesus prays in John 17. Now, speaking of diversity, I'd like to introduce to you some very special people to me. Uh, out of the 4,000 people at the assembly, uh, these are the folks that I spent the most time with. Now, I was a part of a young adult leadership program, uh, so I was assigned to the IT team, uh, and so these are the folks that I was with, um, and we ran around the assembly most days helping people with the um, uh, WCC app, which never seemed to work, uh, and other uh, IT problems. But I just want to give you a sense, just a small sense of the diversity here at the assembly. So who we have here, we have folks from Uganda and the Anglican Communion, we have a fellow UMC pastor from the Philippines. We have a Baptist from Kenya, two German Lutherans, and a young man from the United Church of Canada. I spent most of my time with these six young men. And even though we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, and even though we do not all agree on points of theology, we had conversations about this. We became brothers as we ran around that, that assembly, fixing problems together. They became my brothers in Christ, and I will always be grateful for them because they taught me that the church's diversity is not a hindrance to our unity. The church's diversity is a gift that reveals to us the diversity and the creativity of the God that we serve. The church is diverse. The second lesson that I learned is that the church is one. Jesus, in John 17, prays for the church that she may be one. Now, this is why the ecumenical movement looks to this passage in, in John 17 as its founding mandate, because Jesus Christ himself prays and declares that the church is united. Jesus continues his prayer. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. He's praying to God the Father, God the Creator saying, just as you and I are united in love, may the church be too. Friends, this is a powerful prayer. This is a profound prayer that Jesus uses his last moments with his disciples to speak. But it's also a confusing one, because what does Jesus' prayer, that they may all be one, mean for us today in the light of our reality of thousands and thousands of different Christian denominations and our current context where churches are disaffiliating from the United Methodist Church over issues of human sexuality. It would seem that this prayer has become woefully unrealized. Now these are hard realities to deal with. But I do not think that Jesus in this prayer is necessarily calling for an institutional unity, an organizational unity, or political unity. 
I don't think Jesus is calling for us to be one megachurch where the rich diversity of the global church is abolished and distilled into one clean-cut institution. I don't think that's what the prayer is. Rather, I think this prayer is a call to a unity of love. A unity that can allow for diversity among us because God's love bonds us together as the people who belong to God and therefore belong to one another. Friends, the unity of the church that Jesus prays for is not an institutional aspiration. It is a theological reality. It is a gift that is given to us by God, not something that we have to work to create. There is only one God, and so there can only be one church. But this church is not a building. This church is not an institution. It's not even a group of people who gather together and sit in the same pews to worship God. The one church that Jesus prays for is that beloved community that exists beyond time and beyond space and beyond geographical borders as the people who are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. It is bigger, more diverse than we could ever possibly imagine. This unity of love, I think Jesus is talking about in John 17, is a unity that's modeled after the Holy Trinity. And no, I'm not talking about pastors Gary, Maria, and myself. That's another trinity. I'm talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Now, the trinity is one of those mysterious doctrines that we would do well to not try to figure out too much. But the trick with understanding the Trinity is that the unity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, never confuses each person's identity. The Father is always the Father, the Son is always the Son, and the Holy Spirit is always the Holy Spirit. And yet there is only one God, that's the beautiful mystery, that there is unity in diversity. The mystery is that each person maintains their own and unique identity, and yet there is a unity that is eternal and infinite that unites the three persons to be one. Now, if the metaphor of the Trinity is hard for us to grab onto, I think this is the same thing that happens in any good and healthy relationship. The mystery of any good relationship, anyone that's healthy, is that two people, each with their own individuality and diversity and uniqueness, are united in love. And in a good relationship, no person loses their own identity. The self is not subsumed and lost in the other, but each person is able to maintain their uniqueness. And yet there is a unity of love that unites them together. One of the deepest mysteries of our human experience is how this works. We spend a lifetime trying to figure out how to have these healthy relationships. But deep down we know that it works. Unity in diversity and this is an area where the WCC gets it right. The WCC is not perfect by any means. But where they get it right is they never try to be one megachurch. The goal is not to bring everybody under the umbrella of one institution. But it's a fellowship of churches, a fellowship of individual and diverse communions that choose to be in relationship with one another because they believe that we can maintain our unique identities and be united by something that is far deeper and more profound than any of our differences. The love of God who says, 
we belong to each other because we belong to God. The church is one. Now, the third and final lesson about the church is that the church exists not for its own sake, but for the sake of the world. The World Council of Churches Assembly that happened in Karlsruhe, it's not just a time of gathering together for fellowship and worship and enjoying one another's company. It's a time where we talk about and seriously wrestle with the largest issues facing our world. So we spent a lot of time throughout those two and a half weeks talking about things like climate change, the war in Ukraine, the unrest in the Middle East, domestic violence, human rights. We spent a lot of time talking about these things, and there were statements and reports made to address these systemic issues. And the reason we spent so much time on this is because the church doesn't exist just for itself. It exists to be a witness in the world. And sometimes I think we have to hear that with fresh ears, that the gift of the church's diversity and unity is not a gift given for our own sake. It is not given to us so we can build the strength and power of our institutions. It is a gift that is given to be a witness of God's love in the world. And that love is glorified and made known through our love for one another. The church was not given to be a beacon of institutional strength. We need to let go of that. It wasn't given to be an insular community of mutual support, although that's important. It was given to be a beacon of God's love in a hurting and broken world. What would happen if the church were truly a place where we were united in our diversity? What if the church were truly a place where people from diverse backgrounds and beliefs and ideologies would come together and truly live into the truth that we belong to each other, not because we think the same or act the same or believe the same or talk the same, but because we belong to the same God. What witness would that be in our divided world? This is what Jesus prays for. At the end of his prayer, he says, may they be one as you and I, God, are one, so that, so that the world may know that you love me and love them. I love the church, and the church does not always get things right. The church will always be imperfect because in one sense it is a human institution made of human individuals. But the church is also a gift given to us by God. And so when we feel like the church is failing to do what it's called to do, when we feel like the church is failing to be who it's called to be, let us remember these three simple lessons. The church is diverse. So remember, God is always bigger than you can imagine. The church is united. So remember that we can be one even in our diversity. And the church exists for the world. So remember always to be a beacon of hope for a broken world. If we remember these three things, I think we may be a little bit closer to becoming the truly beloved community that Jesus prays for in John 17. May it be so, not only in our pews, not only at Aldersgate, but in the church around the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Doesn't it bring you great pride to know that we are part of something that is much bigger than ourselves? 
and that we get to be a part of what God is blessing in our world. As we approach the throne of God in a time of prayer, and as we reflect upon these words that have been shared with us and the prayer of our Lord Jesus, may this be a moment of reflection and renewal for you. I'm going to walk the aisles, and if you have prayer concerns or a joy that you would like to share, please feel free to share them, and we'll say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church, which you have uh, instituted long ago and have prepared for us to feel together in even in the midst of our diversity. Thank you that throughout all of these years, we can have a common love. Cultivate that within us and enable us to be the kind of church that you want us to be for the world, for our families, for our communities, our country, and for the whole globe. Guide us now as we concentrate our prayers that we might indeed lift up those who are hurting and give you thanks for the good things in life. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the family of Mary Brody and the family of Rick True. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And for Paula, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Continued healing prayers for son Matthew Marin. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Ken Schnur is in the hospital. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Virginia Kaufman, who is entering in hospice care this week. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, I want to pray for Stacy, for strength as she continues to heal from surgery. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Prayers also for Dennis Morris. Uh, Dennis is going to KU Med Center uh, this week. He has uh, qualified for um, a, a pump that can be implanted in a ventricle to help his heart pump with an external battery. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and thank you for the miracles that are all around us. Oh my, for the Smiley family whose mom died in a car wreck on Saturday, Friday. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer for Gloria Travaglia, who was involved in an automobile accident yesterday. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. I love the way you write them out for me. For Lori, Todd, Annie, Allison, and Gary, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We continue in prayer for Lynn Blankenship, who is in hospice care. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Yes. For Betty, who is in Tulsa in a hospital fighting cancer, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Gracious God, we thank you for what you are doing in our world through the Lord Jesus Christ and that you have considered us to be a worthy vessel for sharing the good news. Lord, in our era of great division politically, racially, and in so many ways, Lord, forgive us for going to our own corners and coming out and fighting with one another. Forgive us of our warring madness. 
and engender within us a new and right spirit that we may seek to embrace rather than to harm. Bless the children that you have blessed us to care for, that they may grow into a world that has a measure of peace and hope for all. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please stand for our closing song today. Living Hope. You know, the text of the song kind of speaks for itself. So let us sing together.
We do have a living hope, a hope that is with us in every season of life as we navigate our journeys of faith, as we navigate what it means to be the church. And let me just say, I am so happy, I'm so blessed that we get to be the church together. So as you go from this place, may you go with that living hope close to your heart. May it breathe life into your souls in those dusty and dry places where you need to know that God is near. May you go and join the beloved community that knows no borders to be the church. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning, man. Good to see you. I'm so glad to be back. <laughs> 